0: Well, it's a great joy and delight to welcome, once again, uh, Jason Wong uh, back with us. Uh, For those of you with us last summer, remember uh, Jason was a pastoral ministry intern for a couple of months in the summer. And one of the responsibilities of the church throughout the world is to help men headed toward the ordained gospel ministry uh, get established, get trained, be sent out. And we're just thankful to be a small part, Jason, in your preparation for ministry, uh, Jason has now finished a year three of four at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. He's currently a member and serving as a uh, an intern in youth ministry at Restoration Community Church in St. Louis. Um, Jason, it's wonderful to have you back with us and come uh, bring God's word to His people. Great to be with y'all again this Sunday. Um, I haven't been back to Kentucky since last summer, but it's great to be back. Um, Seeing everyone's faces and knowing y'all are still here worshiping the Lord every Sunday, I think is a great encouragement to me. So, this morning we'll be taking a break from your series in the book of Acts um, and and taking a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Um, The reason I chose this passage is because I think it encompasses a little bit of what I've been learning about. Um, this past year, um, and what I've been processing is the strange and counter-cultural concept of the church. Um, there's a lot of ways to describe the church. It can be seen as an organization. Um, it can be seen as you know a family, um, and sometimes it's called a, hosp- a hospital. All these accurately describe certain aspects of the church, um, but I think there's a danger to. Um, these definitions. Um, And I think the danger is that we can only think of these definitions um, in human ways. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who is a German pastor uh, during World War II, um, he said this, the church is a divine reality, meaning the church is not of this world. So the church is an organization, but it's not like any other human organization. Um, The church is like a family, but it's not like any other family. The church is also in hospital, but it's not like any other hospital. So as you can see, the church is a divine reality. And now what that means as well is that how the church functions is also not of this world. So today we'll be looking at a simple way that the church functions, um, and that way is the way of love. So let's go ahead and read today's passage in 1 Corinthians 13, um, and then I'll pray, and then we'll begin unpacking a little bit of what this passage has to say. Um, so, in starting in verse 1 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So let's pray together. Lord Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we pray um, for your spirit to be here uh, to help us to understand what your word has to say to us this morning. Thank you for your word and how you want to pursue us and communicate to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this past year, I had my 28th birthday, and I was surprised by my friends because they chose to spend the whole day with, with me without me even knowing. Um, we ate some of my favorite foods, and we played some of my favorite games Um, It was probably one of my favorite birthdays, and it's going to be one of my most memorable ones. Um, But in a funny way, it's a very memorable birthday because I had this thought that came to my mind. Huh, I'm getting pretty close to 30, and I'm still not married yet. (laughs) Um, So maybe I should try online dating. Um, Now, I want to make sure and say that singleness is a great gift, and God views it as such, and I've actually experienced singleness as a great gift as well. Um, However, that doesn't mean that I don't desire to be married. So, you know, I started sharing these thoughts with my friends, and we started discussing what online dating would look like. Um, And now, for for those of you who are unfamiliar with online dating, um, there's generally, you know, there's a mixture of good and bad aspects um, with it. Not every dating platform is the same, but they all generally uh, require you to make an online profile. You list your likes and your dislikes. Um, you put your occupation, your dreams, um, things that you've accomplished, um, and you put what you're looking for, and then, you know, they, they go ahead and match you, um, with other people. Now, this isn't a bad thing, right? Strong relationships are built upon knowing each other, um, and having a shared common purpose. But sadly, um, online dating can easily have this culture where you prioritize what you can bring to the table. So often, uh... On the, online dating can turn into what can you give me into our, personal, into our per, potential relationship. So basically it's always asking the other person, are you worth dating? Um, so why do I bring up online dating? Um, I don't bring it up because I want to say you know Christians should or shouldn't do it. Um, I bring it up because I think it provides a great example of what we can do in the church. We like putting a lot of value on what people can bring to the table. We like saying this church is good because it has excellent preaching, um, worship, or programs. As we come to 1 Corinthians, we encounter a church that is doing exactly this. They have an idolization of spiritual gifts. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul tries to correct them. So the Corinthian church really values spiritual gifts to the point where it caused a lot of division in the church. Um, if you take a look At the beginning of the letter, later today, um, you'll see that Paul gives us an idea of what this division looked like. Um, He says the Corinthians were fighting each other on which spiritual leader to follow. There were some who argued that they should be following Apollos. Others said Cephas. Others said Jesus, which they would be correct in saying that. Um, But also other people said we should be following Paul. So the Corinthians pitted spiritual leaders against each other and argued about which one was the better preacher, or who had the most um, wisdom, and basically saying, like, who's the most holy? Um, now, if that's not crazy enough, it seems that they were also so proud that they bragged about being baptized by the leader that they followed. Um, so if in, ca- in the case, if they followed Apollos, they would brag to other people, hey, hey, I've been baptized by Apollos. So as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, Paul has already done a lot of correction Uh, upon the uh, Corinthians way of living Um, but in the chapter that directly precedes our chapter this morning Paul talks about how they are one body with many members he says each member has different spiritual giftings but they all need each other some are apostles like Paul some are just teachers some help some administrate everyone does different things but they all need each other so just like in our physical bodies where your foot um, and does something different than your hand, that doesn't mean one is better than the other. By saying this, Paul doesn't devalue the, the spiritual gifts of each member. Instead, he points them to a certain way of viewing spiritual gifts. So this is what he says in the last verse of chapter 12. Um, he says, Earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And this way is love. And Paul gives us a great chapter on what this way of love means. So we're going to look at three different aspects of love from this chapter. Um, The first is the necessity of love. Um, The second is the character of love. And third is the permanence of love. So first, uh, the necessity of love. Um, Looking at verses 1 through 3. Paul shows the Corinthians the necessity of love by presenting to them a hypothetical situation. He asks them to imagine a situation where he was the spiritual leader that they all longed for. What if he had all the spiritual gifts that they valued? So he names these gifts. Um, In verse 1, he says, What if I spoke in the tongues of men and of angels? Now, this is probably a bit odd to us, and scholars aren't totally sure what this exactly looked like in the a Corinthian church, um, but what we know from context is that it refers to some kind of elevated speech, uh, such as speaking in tongues uh, or speaking the language of he- heaven, which they thought angels could speak. To the Corinthians, it was a big sign of holiness if a person could speak in such a way. Um, so, in other words, if you could do such a thing, you were like closer to heaven than other people. Now, if you have any que- other questions about you know speaking in tongues or language of heaven, you can talk to me a, a bit afterwards. Uh, I have some thoughts, but you can definitely talk to Pastor Lee. He's more experienced than I am. Um, it's a tough question uh, for sure, um, and it's in, it's in scripture, so um, it's a valid thing to ask. Um, but back to Paul's hypothetical situation. Um, Paul goes on and lists other spiritual gifts too. Uh, so he says in uh, verse 2, um, what if I had prophetic powers or perfect understanding, or enough faith to move mountains, right? Jesus even said that. Um, In verse 3, he says, What if I gave away all I had, even my own body? To the Corinthians, uh, imagining such a person would be like imagining the perfect spiritual leader. But so often as Paul does, he turns it on his head. In verse 1, he says, If I speak in the way you want me to speak, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if there is no love, this great gift of speaking would be like a useless instrument. And not only useless, a a very distracting and annoying instrument. Paul gets even more intense in the next verse. He says, if I have not love, I am nothing. So in other words, not only are my gifts useless, but I'm also nothing if I do not love. And in the last verse, he says, if I have not love, I also gain nothing. The Corinthians' perfect spiritual, spiritual leader would be useless, nothing, and unable to gain anything. Not exactly the best endorsement from Paul. But that's Paul's point. He wants the Corinthians to wake up to the necessity of love. The way of love is a standard by which a spiritual leader and a church should grade themselves. It's not about having spiritual gifts. Are they a good church because they have all the spiritual gifts, or are they a good church because they pursue spiritual gifts to love each other? According to Paul, it's the latter. The way of love is necessary in making spiritual gifts useful. Love allows gifts to be in service to others rather than being shiny trophies to be obtained. Instead of being a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, love turns gifts into something like a soothing or uplifting piano. This was something I had to fight for in my search for a church three years ago when I moved to St. Louis. Um, Believe it or not, there are over 20 PCA churches in the St. Louis area, Um, and if you include uh, the many other great churches in the St. Louis area, I could have visited a new church probably every Sunday for a whole year, um, and maybe more. so with so many churches, it was easy to get lost in, in comparing gifts, um, the giftings of each church. Um, I could have always ask, you know, is this pastor's preaching that I hear this week better than the preaching that I hear this past week? Um, the, so thankfully, I was able to avoid doing that um, because when I reflected upon why I joined the church that I did three years ago, I can, th- I can only think of love being the reason. That's because the pastor, you know, I've heard better preaching Um, The worship, I've heard better worship. Um, I've definitely uh, heard better singing. Um, And then there was nothing necessarily glamorous, per se, about this church that I joined. But I tell you what, this church that I joined, they know how to love each other. I could see that through the various ways people were serving. There are people welcoming on a Sunday, helping out with nursery on a Sunday, doing uh, worship, um, doing the technological bits that help run the church. right? Not everyone was the most skilled or could wow you with what they could do but they were willing to offer up what they had to build each other up on the Sunday but also throughout the week. I felt some of that in my time at this church too. Um, I want to encourage you all to keep love as your focus. It's easy to get caught up in the t- obtainment of gifts and to count how many you have. But as Paul says, seek the higher gifts, but know the more excellent way of love. Paul isn't saying gifts are bad. He's actually saying quite the opposite. He's saying they're really important for the life of a church. You need a preacher. You need someone who can do administration. You need someone who can do physical labor, like, you know, take out that sign from last year. You need someone who can do worship. We need someone who can help the church be better at benefiting the community that it's in. Seek these gifts and also try to grow them to be better. The church needs them. But remember, don't forget the necessity of love. Love makes it all go, and without love, it all means nothing. Love is necessary. So now, uh, now let's move on to our uh, next point. point, uh, second point, the character of love. Here we'll focus on verses 4 through 7. Um, and basically what Paul is doing here is showing the Corinthians what love looks like. Um, and if you've read this letter before, um, these character, characteristics of love are specifically pointed to them. We're not looking at a general list of characteristics of love we're looking at a list of characteristics that are tailored towards the Corinthians. So if you look in verse 4, Paul starts off with two positive verbs. He says, uh, love is patient and kind. Corinthians, you must be patient and kind. In other words, you must hold back judgments to be long-suffering with one another and to respond with compassion towards one another. But the Corinthians will quickly learn that they don't do this because of all the other characteristics, the negative characteristics that he says next. He says, uh, do not envy or boast. Well, we've already talked about how the Corinthians, they, they envy spiritual gifts and they boast about them. He also says, do not be ar- arrogant. Well, they failed at that because in chapter, 12, uh, chapter 5, excuse me, Paul talks about how they aren't disturbed about the sexual immorality that runs rampant. In their church. He also says, uh, Do not be rude. The Corinthians fail at this as well because in chapter 11, Paul talks about how rude it was that some of them were taking the Lord's Supper without the whole church being there. You know, I can keep going with all these characteristics, but you get my point. Um, what I do want to point out next is the way Paul ends this section. So in verse 7, he says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Endures all things. In the Greek, all things is another way to say always. So Paul is basically saying, love always. And by saying it this way, Paul makes the character of love to be always pointing upward rather than downward. Don't think about love as what you shouldn't do, but think about love as what you could possibly do. As one commentator says, there is no limit to love, love always bears always believes, always hopes, always endures. As Christians, we can't settle for anything less than that. And when it comes to Christian love, we should aim high, and then when you get there, aim higher again. That's the character of love. Every culture has an imperfect idea of love. Um, C.S. Lewis, who famously wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, um, and other useful Christian books. Um, Notice this within his own time. Um, he said this in a sermon uh, during World War II. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. If you asked 20 good men today what they thought was the highest virtue, 19 of them re- would reply, unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened? a negative term has been substituted for a positive. And this is of more than philological importance. That just means, like, it's more than just semantics. The negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was an important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. I think C.S. Lewis makes an interesting observation upon his own culture. Instead of seeing love as the highest virtue, they saw unselfishness as the highest virtue. And as C.S. Lewis points out, Christians can't do that. Unselfishness isn't wrong, but when comparing it to love, its goal is actually much lower than love. As Christians today, we can do the same thing with the love that Christ taught. We can trade it for other words, or we can simply change the definition of love. There's many different ideas of what love is, um, and often those false ideas can get into the church. Um, And we're just going to look at one example. Uh, You can look at verse 6, and I'll go ahead and read it. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I think this verse strikes at the heart of a common definition of love, circulating in our world today it's common to see love as tolerance and endorsement of all things but here paul says love holds firm the truth and mourns when it's not taking place so what this means is if that were if we're going to be a loving church we actually must speak truth but before we jump to the extreme of being only true speakers um, remember love is also patient and kind Love looks out for others by speaking the truth with love. That's the Christian way. That's Christ's way. Christ came with truth, and that truth came with love. His love came with much patience and kindness, and that was his character. That was the character of his love. So let's go ahead and move to our final point this morning. Um, Love is permanent. Um, Look with me in verse 8. Um, Paul says, Love never ends. For the Corinthians, they needed to see the long lasting nature of love. And Paul gets the, uh, puts the permanence of love, uh, as he goes on in verse 8, he puts the permanence of love in comparison with the temporariness of the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians uh, wanted so much of. He says, As for prophecies, they will pass away, as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will also pass away. What Paul is saying is that all these great spiritual gifts that build up the church, they're all temporary, because when Christians get to heaven, they will have no need of them. We'll have no need of of the gift of prophecy, because we'll all know Christ perfectly. We'll have no need of the speaking of tongues, because we'll all be able to speak to God perfectly. We'll have no need of knowledge, because we'll all know God face to face. There's no need of spiritual leaders with these certain gifts in heaven because everyone will be in a perfect relationship with God. But what won't we stop doing in heaven? We won't stop loving because love is the way of heaven. Paul kind of does the same thing in the last verse of this chapter. Um, In verse 13 he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these It's love. Now why is love the greatest? It's the same thing. It's because when heaven comes, uh, both faith and hope will finally meet their end destination. But as for love, it will continue on. Love is greater because it's permanent. Love tends to have this great power of longevity. Um, One of my favorite basketball players is Kobe Bryant. Um, And before he died last year, he wrote this amazing love poem not to his wife or kids, but to the game of basketball. Um, he talks about how he, lo- he fell in love with basketball as a young boy and how this drove him to, be, uh, to give the game of basketball his all. It didn't matter how much sweat, agony, or amount of running it took to play or how much success he had, um, he did it because he loved the game of basketball. So he says this one line, I think it's really beautiful, um, in his poem. He says, um, I did everything for you, and he's talking to basketball. I did everything for you because that's what you do when someone makes you feel as alive as you've made me feel. Kobe Bryant played 20 years of professional basketball, and by any sports standards, that's an incredibly long career. Um, But love does that. Love tends to make things last forever, and in Kobe's case, his own career. I think Kobe Bryant's love for basketball can give us a glimpse on what Christian love, like how it works for us. For Kobe, he loved something that captured his heart and which drove him to commit so much of his life, his time and energy, um, to it. But there's also a key flaw with basketball. Basketball is still a game. It's still just an orange ball. Kobe couldn't be loved by basketball forever, right? His, com- his career eventually did end, Um, And he acknowledges that in his poem. He says goodbye to basketball at the end of his poem. But if love like that for a game could drive someone to commit so much of his life to it, how much more so with our love for God? For Christians, our love never ends because the source of our love is more permanent than what basketball can give. Our source is the never-ending and permanent love. Of God that 's why Paul finds it alarming that the Corinthians want to show off their spiritual gifts more than loving each other, like basketball was the Kobes spiritual gifts are only temporary. what's better is the Christian love that is permanent so here 's my two suggestions as I close: um, first, as a church, love each other. seek and use your gifts in a way that builds each other up. Second, if you are struggling to muster up that love, look to the permanent love of Christ. In John 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, we are told Jesus loved his own to the end. Jesus loved his uh, love for his disciples never wavered throughout his life, and that's including when he saw the cross. He went all the way to the end. His love went all the way to the end, even when he saw the cross. So, in a similar way to how basketball captured the heart of Kobe Bryant, let Christ's love for you capture your heart. I think what you'll find is that what you'll start doing um, when you respond to this love, well, you'll start doing things, you'll start doing things for God and for others that you think that you, that you thought you would never do in your lifetime. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, thank you for. This morning Um, thank you for this text thank you for first corinthians 13 and you teaching us the way of love thank you for the love of christ how he showed us how love is permanent and that his love is never ending for us i pray that we respond with our love for others and love for you in jesus name amen